Okay, good evening everyone. Thursday night. Tonight's shear. It's going to be a Purim shear. We're going to learn next week. Thursday night is already Purim, so we have to learn this week. Preparing for Purim, we're going to learn a mimer from the Alter Rebbe in Taira Oir. Baruch Hashem, there's still a few Maimarim left in Megillah Esther that we didn't learn yet. Now we're going to learn the mimer called Vatoisef Esther Vatedaber on page 188. Page Tzadik Dalid Omid Gimel, or page 188 in Torah Or. Uh, before we begin, let's dedicate tonight's shir, first of all, to an uncle, my uncle, my very, very special uncle, my very, very, extremely, extremely special uncle, who always growing up was, I have to say, I hope none of my other uncles hear this, but he's always been my favorite uncle, Uncle Laser. He was full of life and joy and humor and fun and just fantastic. So tonight, and he passed away without children, so we need to give him special schusim. His name was Eliezer Yehuda ben Chanetziv ben uh, Ruvain. Eliezer Yehuda ben Ruvain, tonight is his yard site, Zion Adar, very special yard site, Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. And also Esther Amalka's yard site. I didn't know that till today. Someone sent me it's Esther Amalka's yard site. So we've been learning about Esther on Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site and on Esther Amalka's yard site. So that's awesome. So this big, big schus from my uncle's neshama. Eliezer Yehuda ben Ruvain, I think it's four or five years now. And may his neshama have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights and send us a lot of blessings down here. A lot of joy, a lot of happiness. Um, also, tonight is, in the, all these Thursday night classes are uh, were, were dedicated by the Berlin family. Baruch Berlin. And this is an, and, and it should be a special schus for his daughter, Esther Basara. So Esther, so again, special, special this week, special schus, even though we have the schus every week. So big yashikoyach for them. There was someone else who donated, I saw they gave a donation, they didn't write specifically sponsoring a shear, but I think it, obviously they, they, it should be for a shear, so I'm gonna look up his name, but I know he mentioned the schus of Rabbi Aaron Doe Friedman. So let it be a schus for Rabbi Aaron Doe Friedman. And a uh, special man over here in our community that does so much good and so much incredible things um, for so many people. So um, I'm sorry, please forgive me that tonight I forgot, I didn't, before I was busy preparing the class and I didn't go look back at the email to get your name. And, uh, but uh, you should be gebenched, you should be gebenched. And much, much bracha to you, much mazel. And again, big, big uh, brachas to the Friedman family, to Rabbi Friedman, and to all of his children who are my students. Not all of them are my students, but quite a few of them. Big brachas to them. Okay, so Purim is always great, and the Maimarim on Purim are fantastic. Um, you know, there the, are the entire are the Maimarim that everybody learns and the Maimarim they don't learn. When I say no learn, it's that uh, it's, it's studied less and it's last classes given them. And the reason for that is because they're usually harder Maimarim. They're, they're the more cryptic discourses. This Maimar I found to be a little cryptic. Now, I don't know if that's because my soul or my mind or my brain or my being is first stopped, means clogged, or because it really is cryptic. I do see it's from the earlier years of the Alter Rebbe. Meaning it's from the early, it's from Tavkuf Nun Zayin, is when the Alter Rebbe said this Maimer. Tavkuf Nun Zayin means it was said in 17, 
1797. Most of the modern we have from the Alter are mainly more ready. Tovkov Samach starts in the year 1800. From 18 to 18, the Alter passed away in 1813 or 1812. Those 12 years, we have like a bulk of the Mamarim. This was like from the earlier Mamarim. And you can see the style is a little shorter, sharper, if you might say. Um, so, uh, yes. And I give up on it. I, 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 okay, I, I'm going to admit I didn't, you know, Yagaito Matsaisa, I spoke a lot this week about, in certain classes, about learning something 101 times. Not just 100, but 101. Should I say that I studied this mimer 100 times and then I'm complaining that I don't understand it? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I only read it and not really studied it in depth. I only read it two times. But after two times, I was at the point of giving up and that's why I'm starting the class late because I got frustrated and I said, I'm not teaching, I don't understand it and forget about it, I'm just gonna lay in the couch. I'm sorry for being making my confession here public, but it's exactly what I did. I went on the couch over here in the children's room in Mayan. There's a couch, and I lay down and I said, "No class tonight." And then I was feeling extreme guilty for not giving a class just because I'm lazy and I didn't prepare the class the way I should. So I got up again and I looked up something that was bothering me, and I Baruch Hashem found a source that led me to another source which clarified a little bit, I can't say completely, it's still cryptic and I still have a lot to the Mimer that I don't know, but let's go with Amuna. The Mimer is talking about darkness and about concealment and how in the midst of the concealment you can break the concealment. So maybe that schus will happen as we're learning the Mimer together. The mere merit of all those that are learning with online, these days no one is here. I'm learning with, uh, with the angels and with the uh, with the souls and with everybody on YouTube, Facebook, and all the other ways, and those are listening to him, to, to the Mimer right now live, and those that are going to tune into it as a Hashem and listen to it next week before Purim or before Shabbos or whatever it is, in your merit, may the Abish to crack. It's not your fault that I didn't get to prepare this the way I should. It's no one else's, it's my own fault. So because you don't deserve it, so therefore, the may Hashem help that the Mimer should open up for us all together. We should understand it. And, uh, for the Jewish people should be light. So we're ready to go. Oh, I do want to say that the Mimer, I feel, is very appropriate because, you know, I'm making a, 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 a call. This Sunday, something very special is taking place. Something extraordinary is taking place. And that is that there has been an inspiration amongst Jews to pray for Mashiach in unison. That all Jews together should cry out for Mashiach. And um, if you didn't see this yet, or you didn't hear about it, you know, uh, maybe you'll get the information now. The 6 o'clock p.m. Israeli time this Sunday, which is in New York time, 11 o'clock Eastern time. And over here in Los Angeles, it'll be 8 o'clock in the morning. So make sure to go to sleep on time that you don't miss this. Every Jew across the world, we try to reach all, and also try to pump this out to whoever you can. You should all cry out at the same moment, Simply from your heart, Hashem, please send us Mashiach. Enough is enough already. Fartik, it's, it's, it's beyond what we can take. It, we, we, we've been here. It's long overdue, the redemption. We're just going to cry simply out to the Ebishter, to God, to send the redemption. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said that if, Yidin, if all the Jews across the world will cry out and say, Abba, Father, 
Tata. Tata in Himmel, Father in Heaven. Daikvar, it's enough. Send us our Mashiach, our righteous Redeemer, the Mashiach for sure would come. Now with technology, we have the ability to organize, to mobilize. We couldn't do it till now, but now we could mobilize a mobile phone and mobile technology. We can bring together all Jews from across the entire world. It'll make a difference. Men, women, old, young, children, adults. Affiliation, this kind of kippah, that kind of yarmulke, that kind of hat, that kind of beard, that kind of, you're a chassid, you're not a chassid, you're this kind of chassid, that kind. Make no difference. You're a Jew, religious, not religious. Nothing matters. Only one thing. A Jewish heart. Every Jew has a Jewish heart. And we cry out to God and say to, to Daddy, take us home. That's, that's it. So what I'm happy about, so we're doing this this Sunday, and again, again, it doesn't know give, we, the recommendation was everybody should give a, a penny to the tzedakah, you give a penny, you can give a nickel, give a dime, give a dollar, give a million dollars, doesn't make a difference what, but give tzedakah right before you do it, because tzedakah brings the Mashiach and, and it and paves the way before davening in order that a prayer should be accepted, tzedakah, and daven from your own heart, whatever you can say to Hashem, please Hashem send us Mashiach, better in your own language, if you want, there's actually, that's floating around a, a designated prayer, but whatever thought you can say, then you can say Tehillim, you can do whatever you want, but at that moment, 8 o'clock, cry out to Hashem and say, Hashem, please send us Mashiach. And have your children do it, your grandmother do it, your, 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 your great aunt, everybody, your neighbor, your friends, spread it. Spread it in all your Facebooks and all your WhatsApp groups and all the other Instagram. And whatever way you get the people, tweet it, send it, whatever. Let's get it out everywhere. So in this mimer, which I found very special, is the Alter Rebbe is talking about the power of Esther, the Jewish people crying out. And particularly the cry that's out of pain. Not even, it, you know, there's two ways of crying for God. One of them is from a deep, sophisticated understanding and appreciation from Hashem, and that's how we pray. And there's another way of prayer, because just because we can't bear anymore the darkness. And even if we don't have much understanding, we just cry out. And that's what the Alter Rebbe talks about in this mimer. So I think it's so appropriate that for whatever reason, I didn't plan this. I, I, after I've been working, the reason, okay, I'll admit, the reason I, 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 I didn't, I didn't um, prepare the way I should is today, today actually, I was busy with this, with this project, trying to create a good flyer of it and this and that, working with different people. So it occupied a lot of my headspace, and I didn't give the... But lo and behold, what is the mimer talking about? That cry that we're going to do this, this Sunday which is similar to the cry of the Jewish people did on Purim, which woke God up. Hashem woke up from his sleep. So let's read inside. And Esther continued and spoke before the king. This is after the king um, had already granted her wish to empower the Jewish people to go fight, and he gave, he, he, he gave the, the Jewish people assistance and weapons and whatever they needed um, uh, the king's armies to assist them in, in standing up against all the mob, the mob that was coming to to uh, to, to make a program. You know, the, the day that was pointed to be the program was the 13th of Adar when they were going to kill all Jews. So um, on that day, the king had provided that the Jews can defend themselves. And so after that was taken care of, Esther continues to pray. No, I made a mistake. See, I'm already reading the whole thing wrong. Not then, earlier. After Haman was hung, right, which happens right at the beginning, Esther now continues to pray that Ahasuerus should help them out regarding Haman's uh, decree. Because even if Haman is already hanging off a tree, and he's not around, but his decree was already put into motion. And the letters had already gone out. 
and all the anti-Semites in the world were already sharpening their swords and getting ready for, the, for this riot, for this program, for this Holocaust. And, and so, so Esther is now pleading for the king, for her people, to, to retract that decree. That, that's what it's talking about. I'm sorry, not after that happened, but this is at the beginning. And the story of Purim spanned almost a year time. You know, Muhammad um, 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 was already hanging on the tree um, on Pesach. That's when Esther made the three-day fast, and she, uh, and she went to see the king. It was the second day of Pesach. And that's when Haman was hung. Now, the, 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 however, the, 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 um, the day of the pogrom was going to take place uh, almost, almost a year later, the following Ador, the 13th of Ador. So Esther is now asking the king to help her out with that situation, that this should not, God forbid, come to fruition. So the Pasuk says, that Esther continues and she speaks. In front of the king, she falls in front of her feet, his feet. She falls to the king's feet. And she weeps and she cries. And she pleads to him to remove the, the evil scheme of Haman the Agogi. Agogi is his grandfather from Amalek. And his plans that he planned for the Jewish people to annihilate them. So she's asking the king to assist her in revoking that decree. Now we know that every time it mentions king in the Megillah, it's referring to God. In a, I mean, there, there is the regular story, but there's the deeper story. So when Esther is falling in front of the king and she's pleading, it's really an anecdote, it's really a marshal, and it's indicating on something much deeper and much higher that Esther is, fa is falling to God's feet and she's praying. And we know that Esther is each and every one of us. We're Queen Esther. We're, we're, we're the king's queen. That's the neshama, the soul. The First it's the shekhinah, who the shekhinah is the source of all of our souls, the feminine aspect of the divine. And that is falling in front of God, by God's feet, and praying. And the Alter Rebbe is going to explain this idea, which means to fall in front of God's feet. Who God has feet, what's this falling in front of his feet? So now he asks the question, how is it possible before Hashem Loimar to say, that we fall before his feet? God doesn't have an image of a body, and he's not a body. Not only isn't he a body, but doesn't even have an image of a body. So what does it mean to fall in front of God's feet? In terms of us today, also, what does this mean? It's a story of Esther falling in front of Achashverosh's feet, that we understand. He's sitting on the, on the throne, and she's pleading, so she throws herself to her feet, to his feet, in terms of, first of all, like in a form of a, that she's at his mercy, and pleading. But what, in the spiritual dynamics, that we're standing in front of God, what does it mean to fall before God's feet? But the idea is as follows. So this is the, the power of this mimer, again, as it's coming to me, <coughs> as we're learning it. The power of the mimer is to explain prayer in a dark time. The story of Purim was a very dark time. And it's not just a dark time, but it's not just a dark time in the world. Dark time we have, it, was a dark, it was a time of immense concealment regarding the Jewish neshama. Our spiritual light, our soul, our beauty of who we are as a, as a soul, as, as, as the princess, as, or as the queen, uh, uh, the beloved of God, the bride of Hashem, it was not actually on display. That's why we're called Esther. Esther means concealment. That our Jewishness, our holiness, our burning heart, a Jew is called a, a, a kala, is called God's bride, because kala means, as explained to many memorachsidists, that kala means expiration. The soul expires. All we want is only to dissolve in God's light. But when that's concealed, then we don't have a Jewish heart. We don't feel that. We crave 
all the material pleasures of the world, and we don't even feel a, 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 an inspiration towards spirituality, a drive, a, a, a pull towards, towards godliness. So then, at that time, how do we pray? So this is, and then we have to fall to his feet. But there is, this is going to teach us how to, how to bring ourselves to prayer, how to open up the heart, even when it's clogged, even when it's shut, even when our Jewishness is so concealed. And this idea that the Jewishness of the Jew is concealed, which means the passion, the fire, the, 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 the yearning of the soul to cleave to God is concealed, is, 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 um, is expressed in the idea that at that time we're called Esther. Esther means concealed. Who we are and what we are is concealed. So this is going to explain to us the, 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 the substance of prayer. How is it possible that every person can daven? That every Jew can daven? Everybody can daven. That means, it doesn't make a difference on which level you are. You don't have to be on a very high spiritual level to pray. Hasidus many times explains davening on so many levels in which we sometimes feel like it's not speaking to us because it's like you got to be on a high level to be meditative and to have a deep, uh, after much contemplation and study and knowledge of God, and then you and then, then you pray like a chassid is praying, like the Alter Rebbe talks about prayer, like a burning, a burning inferno. But 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 every person has to daven. Can every Jew daven? And he says, Eich kol adam Every person, ki Yisrael because the Jewish people nikra Esther. Because Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people, at times were called Esther, one of our names. In other words, the Jewish people have a few general names. And the biblical um, figures of women, uh, the holy women, the biblical holy women, they are not just a person. Yes, they were people, physically incarnated in a body at a particular time, but their energy represents a, 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 the, the, the energy of the Shekhinah and of the collective soul of the Jewish people. And the reason why they, they come in different forms, which means in different, the same Shekhinah appears as Sarah, and then as Rebecca, as Rivka, and then as Rachel, and Leah, and whatever, and Devorah, Hanaviah, and Miriam, and so on and so forth. And that's because there's different angles to the Shekhinah, different states, well, different, especially Shekhinah, because Shekhinah is the source of the world, and creation goes through fluctuations and changes, and so to the life force of creation, which is the neshama of creation, is also malchus, which is the shechina, is called asar de mishtani. It's the place that changes. So um, it's there. There is fluctuations, ups and downs, aliyos v'yeridos, ups and downs. And one of the names of the Jewish people is Esther. But Esther is when we're not on our high. When we're, actually, when we're in a, when we're on a low and in a very low place, then we're called Esther. Uh, we have many names. Venikra, for example, is going to differentiate between when the Shekhinah and consequentially all of our souls are called Rachel, and when, which is Rachel, and when we are called Esther. So Rachel is when we are in a very, very spiritual high state. That's why Rachel, when the Torah describes Rachel, what do we know about her? She's magnificently beautiful. She's Yefei Toyav Yefei Mare. She's she is just perfect <coughs> in her complexion and in her form. She's stunning. And that means that the stunningness of the Jewish soul is that we're stunningly, beautifully, beautiful spiritual. Spiritually, we're attractive to God. 
And that's because of our, our high spiritual stature. We're perfect in, in observance of mitzvot. We're dedicated completely to God. And our, our love for God is in full, our love and our attachment and our passion for Hashem is in full display. And that's our beauty. Uh, and then we're called Rachel. Now Rachel has another meaning. Rachel means a sheep. A female sheep is called a Rachel. So he's not going to connect the Jewish people on a, on a high st state with, with us being with the name Rachel, which means a female sheep. Because one of the characteristics of a sheep is that a sheep is in, always in a state of surrender. Uh, the sheep is the opposite of a strong egocentric entity. An ox might be uh, more, you know, more firm, strong, but uh, but a sheep is very, very, uh, very submissive. And and in this case, the beauty of the Jewish neshama and Jewish soul is that we are completely submissive to Hashem. Whatever, whatever we're following God, whatever God wants, that's what we're doing. And either way, which God treats us, sometimes in a very beautiful way, sometimes He's harsh and does things that we don't understand, and yet we're devoted. So He's bringing that idea, and that, and that shows on 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 a on a on a on a on a high level of the Jewish people. And then we are called Rachel. galos, when we are in a state of His galos. Which means our neshama, our spiritual side, is in a revealed state. That our chayus, which means our energy, is in a state of being included in our source. We're pining for godliness. We're yearning for God. We don't want to be separated from Him. We want to be absorbed in Him. And that's the real state of a Jewish neshama. Like a woman who just wants to be uh, included in her husband. She wants to be attached to her husband. She wants to be identified with him. She wants to dissolve in his identity because she's a real macabre, a real recipient of him. She wants him to take her under his wing. Like it says in the Pachos, like a sheep in front of those who shear her, is silent. That means she, she's not, she's, she, she allows herself to be shorn, which in this case means completely submissive. Now it's interesting, I, I, I have a little bit of a hard time that he's bringing this verse this verse is usually born in Hasidus in another element regarding the Shekhinah, the idea that there is the Yenikas HaChitzonim, which is actually during the time of exile, that the Shekhinah gets taken advantage of by the negative forces. But I think over here he's not, he's, he's not getting into the detail of it. He's just bringing the general idea that the sheep is, allows itself to be done things to her which are not generally makes her the most comfortable, yet she's going along with it. And that's the idea that the Jew is willing to withstand no matter what Hashem does with us, we're still following God and attached to Hashem. Or even stronger than that, not only is a sheep willing to, not only is a sheep allowing to be shorn, which is, you know, and I try to do that to an ox, try to do that to another big, you know, animal, a robust animal, the animal will, 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 will kick and whatever. You can't, sheep will stand by silently when you're shearing or allows itself to get a haircut. Um, but another thing, even deeper than that, the sheep will even go to the slaughter. Stretches out its animal, it doesn't put up a fight like other animals. That the sheep will stretch out its neck. 
not only not only doesn't it fight, but it actually stretches out its neck. In other words, a total abnegation of self, total surrender. Now, and that what does that mean spiritually? The Jewish people are called a sheep. One of our names called Rachel, Rachel, is because of our ability to devote to, 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 to ourselves to the point of self-sacrifice to God. It's not necessarily talking that Jews will get killed, you know, going to the gas chambers, Holocaust, which is sometimes called, you know, Jews went to the went to the to the slaughter like sheep, which is you know, people use it not as a compliment, you know, where why haven't be fought back, but I'm not the the idea that our ability to 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 hear it talking about it on a much higher level, but I mean a higher level. I mean to say on a, on a not, not, not a, you know, God forbid the Jewish people suffering. We're talking about the idea that our, that our souls are willing to, or we're willing to sacrifice our life completely towards Hashem's will and Hashem's things, not to live independent and separated for our own interests, but to give ourselves completely up for God. She gives herself up for, for slaughter, Brats and Pashat with a simple will, it's not sophisticated. It's like, that's what he's saying. It's not only that it goes, but it's not a sophisticated goal. It's not that it makes some kind of a calculation, you know, it's good for me to become slaughtered. That's not what happens. It's almost like just a simple desire, like whatever, whatever, whatever. That's what it is. So too, there is this simple desire of a Jew to surrender itself completely to God. Now that's our, and that's our essence. Our essence of every Jew has that. But it's not necessarily always felt on the conscious, on the, on the outer level of our being. And so it is in every single Jew. It should be his will, the he bottle, to be completely nullified, and to become included in Hashem's light. That we should be one to one. What does it mean, one to one? Up there in God's realm, in God's space. There is a unity, there's only Him. He is, there's none but Him. Once God creates the world, this world becomes a pluralistic place called Rishus Arabim. Over here is not Echod, it's the opposite of Echod. Over here there's myriads and myriads of creatures and being, and everybody's living for themselves. Everybody's claiming their own real estate, their own property, their own, you know, no trespassing, this is mine. I'm fencing it off, this is my space, I do what I want. It's America, free world, right? <laughs> a very strong sense of identity and self-importance. That's, that's called the opposite of Echad. So up there is Echad, down here is not Echad. But a Jew, or Jews are called Goy Echad Ba'aretz, that even in the world, with, even in this territorial world, where, there, where billions of egos claim their own space and their own existence, separated from God, the Jew declares God is one. And the first thing he sacrifices is himself. And, 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 and he's including himself in the oneness of Hashem, even in the physical life. And that means echad be'echad. That means one to one, because down here will be as one as up there. Kamash and like it says, that God's glory, al eretz v'shamayim. Just checking out this stuff. It seems to be interesting stuff. All right. You're scared to have that. Never mind. I have to go by.
heard what you're talking. I thought yeah. you something's going on. Are you going to Costco? Yeah, I am. Okay. What, what, you're live? I thought the police were outside. I hear talking from behind me, and I thought it was... No. Uh, yeah, it's okay. You're not live. I am live. Don't worry. <laughs> I am alive. We're all alive. Kamoisha Kosov, like it says. Kamoisha Kosov. Where are we holding over here? Kamoisha Kosov, like it says, his glory is on the earth and on the heaven. What is that? I think, I think it's a little, again, as I told you, the mind's a little cryptic. So sometimes when he brings a pasuk, again, this is the way I understand what he's trying to say, is that generally, you know, from creation perspective, his glory is only in heaven, not on earth. Earth is disconnected. But when we're called Rachel, what that means is that we bring his glory down to earth. That his glory is felt even on earth, even in our space. We, 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 we recognize it's his domain and we include ourselves in it in his unity. And as he continues, another prosik of all Odet, and the earth, is illuminated from his glory. Through who? Through us. Because when we, when we are devoted and open to him, so he enters into our space, and we're on earth, so earth becomes conscious of God, and the oneness of Hashem permeates even earth. And as it says, Maloi kala Odetz that God's glory fills the earth. And by the way, earth is also a, a, a symbolic for Shekhinah. So it's, and that means we're, that the, the space of the Shekhinah, which is, event, which is the, the soul of creation, is also filled with the masculine light of God's unity, of, of the Hashem Echad, of Hashem Himself. In other words, the worlds are not thick and dense, they're transparent, the godly light comes through. And that's because we are open for Hashem because we're his devoted wife and we're like kind of included in his, in his domain. Like when a woman gets married, she's not living in her own house, in her own space. Every, her and everything that belongs to her identifies with her. That's why we find that women most of the time will take on their, the, 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 their husband's last name, not their own last name. They get swallowed up in their, in their spouse. And I, again, not 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 in going into you know uh, the 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 uh, psychology of that and so on and so forth. But at least in the spiritual realm, what does that mean? That when we can call ourselves, when we get married to God, we 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 give up on our own name and we take on His name. And now everything about us is 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 Torah, mitzvahs, godliness. That that that's our entire existence. That's what we're, that's where that's what we are about. And then we become in him, and then we're called Rachel because of the sacrifice, sacrificing our identity, and we are then called beautiful because we're beautiful to Hashem and everything. Which is this expansion, Veziv and radiance, because the world and everything in it, the world from our perspective as a Jew, and literally because of us, it becomes that way, that the world and everything in it is completely nullified to Hashem. Yeah. And that's the state of Rachel. The Cholzman Shehu Behizgalos Ubislavos. 
And, and all the time that this experience, this understanding, this consciousness, this awareness, and as a result of this, the, the excitement that we have in this relationship and the fire, the, 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 the passion that we had, that we're, that, we're, that we're passionate about being married to him and one with him, um, then we're called Rachel, Nikrib Chanis Rachel. Then we're called Rachel. Kitsain Tifcha, like sheep. It's, it's interesting that he's bringing a marshal that seems to be so negative in our eyes because it's, it's, it's a tain tsain tifcha, which means sheep to the slaughter. But it's a, in this case, it's, it's a joyful surrender. It's, it's, it's the happy sheep going to a happy slaughter, not a painful slaughter. Okay? I know the slaughter bothers a little, so let's, let's take away the idea of that. But, but the point of here is that even if it means total, total dis, disintegration of our egos and of our independent existence, we joyfully want that. That's, that's what it means to be a Jew, a complete dissolvement into Hashem. That's the idea of Rachel. But when our true truth of our neshama is not revealed, in other words, when we don't identify with that inside of us, quite on the contrary, we're feeling very much separated, very much a being, an important being, so much so that our own you know, petty little things are so ginormous in our own eyes and so important in our own eyes. And uh, serving Hashem is not necessarily perhaps on the top of our agenda, the first thing in our mind. We have other business to take care of other than that. That's because our true identity as, as, as a wife of Hashem, as someone, echod be'echod, as one with God, is not on display, it's not revealed, even to ourselves. But in the time when this is not revealed, Nikrib Chenes Esther. Then we are called Esther, Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people are called Esther, where it says, I will hide my face. That means that obviously, why are we Esther? Because God is hiding his face from us. It's a time of exile, it's a time of darkness. So we feel him less. And we feel him less, so our response to him is much less. Our, our uh, reciprocation to his presence is, is, is less because he's hiding. Or it can be the opposite. It's because we're not paying attention. That's why he's hiding. But whatever it is, there is a, there is a, there is a concealment on, on Hashem and therefore an hour, an hour, an hour love for him. And, and that's why, he doesn't say it over here, but in uh, the Tzemach Tzedek, um, has a short, short, tiny little note in Ura Torah Megillah Sester. Mom, it's just a short. That's why the mimer. Part of the reason why the mimer is very hard is because there's no commentary on this mimer. There are many mimerim which are short, but the Tzemach Tzedek has a mimer. The Mitla Rebbe has a mimer. They that they that they expound on and they fill in the gaps. But over here, there's nothing besides a tiny little, you know, four or five liner from the Tzemach Tzedek where he where he tells you to look in a few places to give some clarity. I tried, but I didn't get much. Um, but in any case, Obadiyah um, does make reference to the idea that, uh, uh, in contrast to Rachel, which this, the, the, the Torah itself says that she was magnificently beautiful, regarding Esther, it says she was not beautiful. The Gemara says that that the, the that the fact that Esther found favor in in Achashverosh's eyes was an absolute miracle, because based on her beauty, she should not have found favor. Why? Because the Talmud says Esther Yerak Rakois Haya. She was greenish looking. 
uh, meaning uh, not 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 um, not attractive. It was a miracle that God that uh, Achashverosh loved her. So spiritually, what does that mean? That means in a time when we're not, we don't have the beauty to be attractive to God. And our now, so but the Altar doesn't says it's not it's not possible. It's not possible that a soul is not beautiful, that a Jew is not beautiful in Hashem's eyes. We all are. Souls are always. It's only that it's hidden, it's concealed. It's blocked. It's being covered up. It's not that it's not there, it's being covered. And that's what he says over here. And not like the world thinks. Not like the people out there think that what? People think, I think this line, just for this line, it's worth learning it. People think that because it's not revealed, because you're not conscious of it, because you're not experiencing it, that's a sign that it doesn't exist. That you don't have this beauty, you don't have this rachel in you, you don't have this, this, this love for Hashem to the point of total, 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 uh, total, total submission, total giving yourself over. It's not that you don't have it. It's not that case. Every single person has this potential. Every single person has it inside of them. Ah, it's in a concealed state. And we need to fan it. We need to fan the coals. It's like coals that look dead, but really deep inside the coals there is a fire. And you take a hat or whatever it is, or you blow on it, and then you blow, 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 blow. You suddenly have to blow a long time and, and create a strong wind, and suddenly, boom, you bring the fire slow out. And then it like can turn into a complete... In, in, in Inferno, you can restart your barbecue, right? You ever have that? You have to blow on the coals. And this is the story. We need to make an effort to draw forth the love, to draw forth our spiritual juices. We need to, we need to reveal it. From her hidden state. And from her obscured state. Yeah. And this concealment. Now, why is it concealed? When something is concealed, it's because something is covering it. So now he explains. Ve'ester, nikra, and this concealment is called kishoyshano be'nachoychem. Like the rose amongst the thorns. Maybe we can say that the idea of Esther is even stronger this year because people are wearing masks. And that's showing that our true inner self is covered up. Ve'ester, nikra, kishoyshano be'nachoychem. And the concealment is called like the rose amongst the thorns. And he's going to explain, it's the thorns that are, that are blocking the beauty of the rose. You're not really noticing it because there's so many thorns and it's, it's being blocked. But really deep inside the bush, there is a rose. Just so many thorns that you're not noticing it. What is that? That the thorns, they're the ones they are holding back and concealing. The rose. And what is that? What are these thorns? So he explains. And all worldly matters, and actions of the physical world, which means preoccupation with materialistic pursuits and stuff, in which we get caught up with all the physical things in this world, in overly investment and 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 um, involvement and attachment. That's most important. An attachment, an obsessive attachment to the pleasures of this world, these are the things that, 
that that block, like it says in Chayvus Avavus, I think that you can't have in a heart two things: the love of God and the love of the world. So when you're loving the world, it's obviously going to block the love of Hashem. And all the matters of this world and the and the deeds of this world. In other words, the Alter Rebbe is not is not expecting a hermit of us to live um, uh, in in a state of uh, in a state of um, what do you call it? Uh, Deprivation, depriving our bodies from the needs that we need to live. The Alter Rebbe says, no, that, that, that's not a problem. That's not what blocks. It's the engagement and involvement in the material things of this world when we do them with passion, with all of our heart and all of our soul. That's when we put our heart and soul into it, then it's concealing on our... And then we can't, we don't have energy to pray because we've already spent our passion... On, 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 on making money, or we spent our passion on other things that uh, we're, we're, we... So we have to leave, we have to reserve our passion to go towards Hashem. If it's there, done with all heart and all soul. So these things are called thorns. So they're the ones that block the neshama light, the light of the soul from revealing itself. So now that we know who Esther is, and we can all identify so much with Esther, because most of us, I think regular people, especially in the last moments over here before Mashiach comes, uh, we feel a little numb to spirituality. We feel a little dead spiritually. Not necessarily feel that fire. And that Esther, whom is is hidden by Yoimahu is hidden in the place called Bayoimahu. Where is it? Anoichi Aster. Shem says, I'm gonna hide. But where am I gonna hide Esther? Anoichi Aster Esther. I'm gonna hide Esther. Where am I gonna hide that hidden light of the Neshama? Hashem says, I'm gonna hide it Bayoimahu in that day. In that day Now in the Mimer over here, it's not clear at least what does it mean that Hashem is hiding it where in the Bayoimahu. Although he's going to go into a whole explanation now, what does it mean? The differences of the four expressions regarding day, day and night. One is called Bayoy Mahu on that day, and the other one is called Bayoy Mazeh on this day. And then regarding night is also there is references in in scripture in Tanakh, which says Balayla Hahu, like in in, uh, in Megillah Sester, when it speaks about Achashverosh that night, it says, We know that that's where it's considered the beginning of the miracle, and the Chazan is supposed to, the one who's reading the Megillah, is supposed to raise his voice very loud, and that's Balaylahu, and there's also Balaylahazet, when she talks about Yetzirah Mitzrayim, it says, uh, This is the night, and they went out of Mitzrayim. So we find b- four different references, Bayoimahu, and somehow the hiding of Esther is in the level of Bayoimahu. But in the Mimer itself, I didn't see it clearly to explain what the Bayoimahu actually, the, <laughs> the, one, the one phrase that seemingly is the most important for the Mimer is the one that he doesn't explain. He's going to explain what does it mean, Balai Lahazet, and what does it mean, Balai Lahu. 
And he's going to explain what is Bayoim Azeh. But the Bayoim Ahu, <laughs> in where, he hide, where Esther is hidden, that one he doesn't explain. And maybe because it's hidden, that's the whole point. The Bayoim Ahu is hidden and he wants us to find it. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure, I'm just, I'm just struggling with it. This idea of these four names, that's what I, I told you that in the end I came back after I gave up and I, found, I opened up in a book. And I, there's a mimer from the Rebbe in Tavshin Chafhei um, called Baba Lailahu, a Megillah Esther. It's a Mugadiga mimer. It's one of the uh, edited mimerim uh, discourses. The, the Rebbe said it, and he said it in the year 1965, Tavshin Chafhei. And it's a fascinating mimer. I, I, I don't remember learning it. Maybe I did learn it once. I don't remember really learning it. And I just skimmed through it and I got a little bit of it. And, and he doesn't really, he, he, he's mainly, but he, 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 he does mention some ideas that I mentioned here. Maybe, if I, may, I don't know, let's learn. Maybe we'll understand. Again, what we're trying to figure out is, okay, but the general gist of the mimer is okay even without this. We know that there is a, 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 a what's it called again? A level of rochel. And that's when our soul is on steroids. Our soul is fully revealed, fully, fully expressed, and our love for God is very intense. Then there is a complete opposite, when the neshama shrinks and the soul goes into recession and into hiding. And the physical elements of our life become dominating and strong, but the spiritual side of us is kind of um, silenced and in submission. And yet, that Esther, that's important, that even the Jew who's in a state of Esther, we can speak before the king. That's, that's what it's saying over here. So let's see. There is a level that's called on that day. On that day. Like, where do we find Bayoimahu? It says in the Pasuk, Bayoimahu Yiyah Hashem Echod Ushmo Yachod. On that day, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. Or there's another one, Va'amar Bayoimahu. It will be said on that day, Behold, here is our God. Kivinu Loi, we hoped for him, Bayoimahu. The truth is that Bayoimahu is an expression that I think is. Generally, um, referring to the end of days, the days of Mashiach, the time we're coming to. Like it says, It will be on that day. It will be blown with the big shofar. So, is already, I gave you three of them, all of them referring to the days of Mashiach. That's Bayoimahu. Maybe. Just based on this, just just if I'm doing this, what we're saying, maybe what it means when God will hide our hide our neshama by who means that it's hidden from us during the time of Golos, and then when Mashiach comes by who we will find not only will we find God, we will find our own self, we'll find our own Esther, we'll find our own godliness, we'll come pouring out, and we'll wonder what in the world, who is that? And you realize how godly, how holy, how much spirituality, how each and every one of us is a reservoir. For godliness. That maybe could mean that Hashem says, Vanoichi Aster, where am I gonna hide Esther by Yoimahu? I don't think that's the Pirush, but maybe it's it's it it, 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 it there is a there is a there is something to say about that. That the Abishter is hiding our Esther by Yoimahu. It's like taking up taking our self, our truest desires and wants, and planting it in the future. 
And when we get to that point of Bayoimahu, then uh, when Bayoimahu will be revealed, Esther will reveal herself. And she won't be Esther anymore, she'll be Rachel back again. That could be the Pirush. Could be, I don't know. But in any case, there is a level called Bayoimahu. And then, there is another level which is called Bayoimazet. Where we find also by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, or by when we came to Matan Torah, on this day, they came to Midbar Sinai. Matan Torah, Bayoimazet. In the essence of this day, again, the Jews went out of Egypt. So we have a lot of Yom Hazeh referring to where? To Yetzirah Mitzrayim, it's called Yom Hazeh. Moshiach, Yom Ahu. Yetzirah Mitzrayim, Yom Hazeh. The age begins, and there's another a level, it's called on that night, that's in the Megillah Sester, Balaylahu, not in the Shnasamela. The age begins, and then there is another level, Nikra, Balaylahu, Hazeh. It's called in this night. That's by, also by Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Before they went out of Egypt, it was still the night time. It refers to the night as Hu Halayla Hazeh. This is the night. Or we say it in the Pesach by night. We say Manishtana Halayla Hazeh. What is the difference this night? So we mention Layla and Zeh. So now he says, for Now he begins to explain what these four levels are. For behold, it says... A pasuk. We said it this past Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh when we were singing Halal. This day God did. We will rejoice with Him. So number one, this is Zehayoyim. And what do we see? That when we have Zehayoyim, everything is wonderful. So much so that it causes Nagilov and Ismachaboy that everybody's dancing and singing. We are, it's Freilach. There's joy. Zehayoyim. So Zehayoyim is a very good state to be in. Okay. Because we're going to see soon, Yom is positive and Zeh is positive. And when you have Zeh and Yom together, it's super positive. Nagilov and Ismachaboy. Very good. Uksiv, and it says another pasuk. Vayoisha Hashem. The Eberster helped that God saved Bayoimahu on that day as Israel. Oh, by the way, I see. I was saying that Bayoimahus are always referring to the future. But we feel by Yitzhak Mitzrayim, there is also a Bayoimahu. Bayoisha Hashem, the Eberster helped Bayoimahu as Israel Miyad Mitzrayim. On that day, God saved the Jewish people from the Egyptians. They do find that also in the past. Uksiv, and there's another pasuk. It says, Halayla Hazel Leil Shemurim. So now that we have both references regarding today, he's going to show us how we have both references regarding tonight. On the one hand, it says, Halayla Hazeh, this night, Leil Shemurim, is a night, is a protected night. Uksiv, and it says another, another Pasuk. Balayla Hu, And that night, the king's sleep was disturbed. So you have Halayla Hazeh and Halayla Hu. Okay, so now we have these four references. The Indian and the idea is, so he's going to explain that these are different levels of, of both the environment and our, and the state of being that we are in that environment. In general, daytime means day is light. It means good days. 
in terms of, in, in, in spiritually, it means times when godly light is readily available because we're living in a time of godly revelation. There's various er eras in history. There are times when God is concealed from the world, times when he's revealed. Like, for example, when the Holy Temple stood, the Beis English was a time of daytime. Spirituality was everywhere. It was very accessible. Godliness was able to be touched. A Jew came to the temple. He saw miracles. He saw. He, he walked around the corner. He met a prophet. He looked at the face. He saw a prophet. Wherever you turned, wherever you went, you can see, you can see holiness. And obviously that impressed itself very deep on the person. That's called bayoim. That's called day. Now in day itself, there is bayoim hazeh, and there's bayoim ahu. Okay, but first the idea of day is revelation. And what's the difference between hu and zeh? Zeh means you can point with your finger. Hu means that, it's not here. So just like this difference between day and night, day is revelation and night is concealment. The same is also zeh and ahu indicate also revelation and concealment. Zeh indicates revelation, so you can point with your finger, like it says by when the Jews went through the sea, it says that they can point with their finger and said, Zeh Keli, this is my God. They pointed with their finger. The idea that they were able to point with their finger means it's completely revealed. So Zeh, you say when something is very revealed. So again, day is revelation. It's light. And Zeh is revelation. It's so revealed you can point with your finger. So therefore, Yom Zeh is revelation of revelation. So revealed. It's the extreme revelation. Yoimahu is indicative or indicates light, but there's still some measure of concealment because it's ahu. It's 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 mysterious. Ahu that one, that day. So there is there's an illumination, but it's it's still so how can it be both? How can it be both day and 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 who? That's a that's a I mean in, in, in the in the discourse that I mentioned earlier from 1965 from the Rebbe does explain it. I don't want to go into it right now, so let's maybe we're gonna discuss it soon. But the idea is that the most revealed is day and zeh together. That's extreme revelation. And that's why we understand. Nagilov and It's time to rejoice, thank to Time to sing, because it's awesome time. Yoimahu is a little, a little concealment, because even though it's day, it's still that day. Okay. Now, so that explains. Before we get to night, let's first look at day. When we say zeh, it's lenochach. It's when it's in front of us. Like it says, this is my God, when I will beautify him, or I will make him a home. That's the idea of revelation. Commercial, it then would be in a way of an analogy, Melech of Adam, a king of flesh and blood, meaning a human king. In which all of his empire, all the countries, all the provinces of his kingdom, Betelem Etzloi, are all surrendered to him. Because their eyes see the king, like when it describes Achashverosh at the beginning of his reign, three years, he was powerful. Everybody was, he threw a party. Everybody knew that Achashverosh was running the show. 
or all the way in the end of the Megillah, that Achashverosh puts a tax on the land. Everybody's listening to him. Uh, so he says, when the king is present, revealed, out in the open, so then everybody surrendered to him because they, they feel him, they sense him. Now, now he's already stripping the, the metaphor and, and uncovering the, the, the real subject matter. Is we're referring to God, the king is Hashem. And when Hashem is revealed, then the all the then the 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 the, 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 um, the consequence of that or the outcome of that is that everybody is surrendered to him. So much so that we don't even that 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 our existence is submerged in the powerful revelation of Hashem, and we don't even feel the 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 uh, our own existence because we're overwhelmed with a powerful like by Har Sinai for instance. God, the Jews didn't even know that they existed at that moment. They were so overtaken by her powerful presence of God existing, and that's why they knew it. They made a commitment then to live their entire existence only for the true reality, which is God because they felt it in such a conspicuous, powerful, revealed way. There is a revelation of godliness, so much so as if your eyes can see him. And as a result of having God so vivid, that literally it's as if you can see him with your eyes, so then automatically the worlds shrink, and the worlds become... They become like nothing before him. And the only reality is him. Now, even though, if, now what are we saying now? That if God is, that when truth is revealed, when God who is everywhere, as he's going to explain in a moment, he really is everywhere. It's just that he's not felt. But when the lights are turned on and he is revealed everywhere, then everything becomes canceled in him. To the point that there's nothing but him. If so, what are we saying? That the worlds were created, yesh me'ayin. That God created a yesh. God created a world. Yesh me'ayin means something. So God made, made something. Made the planets, made the galaxies, made me and you and everything around us. So, and we say that it's something from nothing. So it's almost like he is not and we are. So how, that contradicts this whole idea that we're not and he is. So he says, yeah, that depends on, 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 on perspective. When you see truth, when you see him, then we're then then, then we're Ayin and he's Yesh. He exists and we don't exist. When 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 the lights are off and we don't see him, yeah, then then, then we are Yesh. So Mashan is Baba Makamachar, and this that is explained elsewhere. that the world is something. And how can we say now that in front of God everything is not? and the world's considered something from nothing. If the world is a yesh, he says, the Torah is speaking our language. When Torah says yesh me'ayin, Torah says, I know how you see it. It's, 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 not, it's not because you have limited vision. That's why the, 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 the world that's swimming in divine energy feels as if it's something very, very, very much. To our physical eyes, we don't see the, the, the nothingness of God. Again, the energy, which is called nothing because it's 
It's not blue or red or hard or soft or this or that. It's a simple energy that has no definitions. That's why it's called nothing. But if we would see that energy, the, all, the, all the definitions would be canceled in this infinite superpower that is being it all into existence. But because we don't see it, Rabbi Yechonem and Zakai was very much um, attuned to our limited vision. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka, the great leader of the Judah, he truthfully saw, saw the truth. He saw God everywhere, but he knew where his students were at, and especially everybody else. So when, before his passing, it says they came, the students came to him and they kind of bid, bid farewell to him. They asked him for a blessing, and he said to them, I bless you that you should fear God like you fear people. And they were shocked at such a blessing. I mean, we should fear God infinitely more than we fear people. And he said, No, 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 I know what I'm talking about. Because when you, when you do a sin, he said, you, 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 you're scared if someone saw you. You, you, know, you get very nervous if someone is look, peeking through the window. Or if you're on camera or something, the person is terrified. If you see, see. But we're holding, God is there. How, how can you be ignoring God? The answer is, it's, uh, God is a concept, a distant concept. A person sees me, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, I don't know what to do with myself. Got caught, red-handed. But God is looking. So you see, he says, Rabbi Yochanan said, that God is, tr that People and the world is truer to us than Hashem. So at least, he says, you should fear Hashem as much as you fear people. We should really fear God infinitely more than we fear people. But no, Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka is knowing the state of, of concealment that there is in this world, at least to, to other people, not Sadiqim. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka says, you know, I, I bless you that at least so much that God should be as real to us as people. But what is he bringing from here? He's just telling us how um, there is two realities. There is the reality that there is none but him, and that is when it's day. That means the lights are turned on. God is, that's the idea of, I'm sorry, he's not talking about day. He's talking about the idea of hazeh. Zeh means that we can point to God, zeh, that we can almost see him with our own eyes. And when we would see him, <clears throat> then the world's, are canceled in him. says to his students, let it be the will, let the fear of heaven should be upon you, like you fear people. So when it's not like Rabbi Yochanan is talking, but when it is a bright time, and we can see that's called Zeh, and it's and to the Alter Rebbe is not differentiating so much between the Zeh and the Yom. In general, he's looping them together because Yom means day and Zeh means revelation. So usually, when it's day, you can see and you can point Zeh. So it's an era, a time period, like you'll see later that it seems to imply that time of the Beis Hamikdash, time when there is clear, when 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 the world itself is lit up with godliness, and as a result of that, our eyes can see and we can point and say Zeh Tasha. And therefore, we are far more godly <coughs> conscious and godly focused. And so we have to realize that, that, that living in different times and different time periods, it's not just a different period. It's, not, it's a fundamental um, existential difference of how we perceive our very reality. In other words, if we're in tuned with truth, our entire existence is different. In other words, we're, we're, our, our, our scent, like it's going to be after Mashiach comes, the whole, it's like nothing is going to change, but everything is going to change. 
Both are true. Nothing can change. Same world. Same natural, same bookshelf, same table, same room, same lights. Everything is the same. No, no, no. Same sky. Same. But our consciousness is going to be radically changed because the, there will be a, 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 the physical will suddenly become sensitive to the spiritual and to the godly. And as a result of that, reality will be different. And we will all become God-centered beings, not human-centered, not ego-centric beings. Because our entire, the gravitational pull in all day long will be towards the center, towards the being of all beings, as opposed to now where everything in us pulls towards self-fulfillment. But that's day. And then during day, it's, it's zeh, you can see. But when it's night, when it's night, it's dark and very dark. And you don't see anything. And that's the time, I mean, he's not saying specifically, but that's generally the time of exile. It's, it's, an, it's a period in where God is in a state of concealment. The world doesn't see him. So what are we seeing? The material, physical world, nature is very strongly pronounced. The world, the systems of nature, the world, and so on and so forth. Now, as a Jew, every Jew knows God. And you know that there is a God. But you know. We don't. But it's, 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 God is more of a concept, a distant concept, which we have to reckon with, which we consider all the time to be... But our reality is still self. Our reality is still world. That, that's, our, that's our sense of, of true existence. Because even if we know him, but it's still night. And therefore, if we know him, and we focus on him, we could focus. We can, even during the time of exile, a person can put his mind to think a long time, meditate on God, and then there will be like an illumination and God becomes, it becomes at least, at least even though in the rest of the world it's dark, by you it's light. It's like the Pasuk says, uh, the darkness covers the world, upon you God will shine. So this is a, a beam of light that a person could experience even during the time of exile, at least when he has what the Altar Rebbe calls the, in Tanya, he says, I think in Perakhi, Yud Beis in Tanya, but the time of davening, you're, you're, you're focusing on, on godliness, you have this moichen uh, de godlos, you have, you have expansive moichen, so there's light, there's illumination. But what happens, the Altar Rebbe explains over there, you finish davening, and the moichen go away, since essentially it's a time of concealment, you fall back, Fall back that the world it becomes so significant and important. Your ego becomes fills your entire space, and then again, life becomes about how I can enjoy myself, how I can have a good time, how I can improve my own. Not about my purpose and my mission and what God's interests are. See, it constantly changes. Even though he knows God, when the mochen go away, and God is not vividly um, captured. In one's moach, in one's mind, who gam came bechnas laila? That's night. Ah, so that's the general. There's nighttime. There's daytime. Ach afshu bechnasu, but even though one finds himself in this level, yachay lovei lebechnaset. So nighttime doesn't mean that we have to accept and we have to surrender to the idea that we're just, uh, or come to terms, or come to peace with the fact that uh, our relationship with God and 
our relationship with truth is, 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 is inherently uh, compromised and inherently uh, blocked. No. Because even in the night, you could make balayla hazeh. And, 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 the, and, the, and the, the, the classic example to that was that in Mitzrayim, they didn't leave yet. When the Jews went out of Mitzrayim, it was in the day of the 15th day of Nisan, in the morning, when they went out of Egypt. But the night before that was still night. And especially when, you know, there was the difference between midnight and before. By midnight, at least Paro ran around with a bullhorn announcing that everybody can leave. The Jewish people are free to go. But they, Moshe, Moshe said, we're not going to go out at night. We're not going to go out like thieves. We're not going to escape. We're going out by day. But they were technically already, the doors were open. The prison gates were open for them to leave. So the Geula happened. But then there was, before midnight, when, when Paro was still on his end, still ignoring, not only that, it was, it says somewhere how Paro's, you see what, what Paro is, that he was able to, it says, Rashi says that he got up from his bed. After nine makas of seeing such godliness, Paro, and he hears that that night, and he knows he's a firstborn, God is going to go out by midnight, he knows Moshe Rabbeinu's precision, tonight is Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site, talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's precision, a prediction, telling him prophecies exactly when it was going to happen. He's in bed sleeping. <laughs> He's so disconnected and, uh, and, 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 and not even concerned, not looking out the window. And suddenly, you know, there's talk of the doyla, everybody's crying, and he wakes him up and he goes running out in his pajamas looking for motion. But, okay, but before that, Paro and his part, Jews are still prisoners. So it's still Golos. Yet the Pasuk says they should eat the carbon Pesach, Balai Lahazan, this night. What does that mean? That because, for the Jews at least, after everything that Moshe Rabbeinu showed them and after the miracles and all that, their amuna was so strong that even though it was still exile, it wasn't like day yet, it was still night, it was still a time, exile is time of divine concealment, but God was vivid to them even in the night. And that through a power, even though you, could, you couldn't see him yet, but their faith was suddenly so, so um, um, strong in them that it's as if it's almost like they're seeing him. So there's a mix of two things. It's night, because it's still exile, but they, they can literally touch God because of their faith. So when your faith is extremely strong, even in the midst of darkness, that's the combination of being Lila and Zeh. It's like a person being in a state of trouble. There's hardships, the difficulties in their life, and they're not seeing God's face, and yet they have such faith that they're, that, 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 uh, like we say, Gam even if I go in the shadows of death, I don't, I don't fear bad. I know you're with me. The faith keeps me, so I'm not, I'm not falling, I'm not disconnected from you. So he says, Ach, here's where the Alter Rebbe turns it around. Even if it's a time of when godliness is not is not revealed, the person can come to zeh even in the middle of the night. That God can be something that you can point with your finger in front of you. For behold, it says, "In truth, God is everywhere, even during the time of exile." Even all the time, even in the physical, there, there's no place devoid of him. And when we say there's no place devoid of him, it's not his spiritual energy. His very being, because he is. There's no such thing as there's no God. That there's a space without him. He is. 
And he's not even within the context of space. So if he is, he's, he, he is in every possible... He is. And, and there's, not, there's none but him. And he, he is in everywhere and in everything. And he's an omnipresent and omnipotent and so on and so forth. So therefore, he fills the space of the world as well. Maloi kalo'aretz. He fills the earth, kavodo, and even the physical earth. So in one place it says, wait, this is, this, this is, I'm sorry, this is not what he's referring to now. In one place it says, his glory fills the earth. Now glory is not him himself. Glory is his radiance. Shuzivihiz pashtos. This is a ray of him and his, his glow, his glowing light. Ukse, but there's another pasuk that says, Aloyas HaShemayim Vesa'aretz. God says, isn't it that the heaven and the earth, ani male, I fill. I myself fill all, all of existence. And the truth is, the Alter Rebbe says, Ushneim emes, and both are true. Like we learned to many, my mother. On a level of essence, God is everywhere. But then there is a, uh, uh, the idea of godly revelation, his emanation towards the world to create the creative energy. That's only a ray of him. And that is, fills the world differently. Every place in the heavens, there's more energy on the earth. But in terms of God himself, not his light, but himself, he's everywhere equal. He fills. But to that, we're completely oblivious to. To God's, not his light, but him himself, that, that is filling the space that me and you, all of us are, it's the density of our existence, of our body, that's concealing and blocking it. The fact that God's glory fills the entire earth, that's His radiance and His expansion. To illuminate and to enliven the world. Now, Him Himself, we can't grasp. As we said earlier, the body blocks, the world blocks. That, that's not, and, and even, even when we meditate on it, we can't grasp it because we're dealing with the being of beings and the being that's undefined and therefore there's no grasp in it. Emanations of him, projections of him, attributes of him, as he lends himself to become a source for creation and energy for the world, that we can study, we can learn, and the more spiritual you are, the more you can perceive, the more you can understand. Fine. And that's what we can grasp, and that's what calls forth the day. When we spoke about day, the day really, it's not God's essence being revealed. When we say it's daytime, it's God's light, like the sunlight, the rays of the sun, God's light. And that's when we can see His light, and we can grasp His light, and as a result of that, consequentially, be nullified to him. So I think, again, I'm not that clear, but I think what he is going at is that this that we speak, that day is a time of light, and that's when you can see him. And night is a time of darkness, and that's when you can't see him, because his lights are not, like the sun's light is not here. And therefore, we might feel relegated that what? That in the nighttime, we can't experience him. Why? Because his light is not here. So the answer to that is, I think, again, it's again not clear, so um, this is my own take on it, which, which is coming, is that, yeah, of course, night and day, the differences are relating to his lights, his illuminations. And by night he's illuminating, and by day he's not illuminating. I'm sorry, the opposite. By day he's illuminating, and by night he's not illuminating. 
So therefore, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, when his lights were revealed in the world, we can feel him and sense him naturally. And in the time of the Gauls, naturally we don't feel him. There's a lot of concealment. But that doesn't mean you can't experience him. Why? Because even though his lights are not revealed during the time of exile, but his essence is present. And with faith, not with experience, but with powerful faith that God fills every nook and cranny of existence, you can experience him literally in front of you. The faith can bring you face to face with God himself. As he says over here, um, Oh, hold on. The, the lights of God that are illuminating, and that brings us to be nullified, to be absorbed in Him. And when His light is turned on, we see how the whole world is nothing before Him. Um, and, and, and that brings us, like we spoke earlier, to the Rachel experience. Rachel is usually, the Rachel experience is usually a response to being in the day. But, now, but the Esther experience, Esther is the time of exile. When did Esther live? In the time of the end of exile, when it's the darkest moments of exile. But now we say, And even when it is a time of night, We can be in a state of Zeh, why? That God can be right in front of us. Why? But for that we have to ratchet up our amuna, because of the power of amuna of faith. Faith means even when I don't, when it's not illuminating in me, I don't see. Because if I'm seeing, I don't need faith. Faith is a deep what's faith? A deep conviction in the truth of something, even when I'm not seeing it. So machmas because of the great amuna. When a person believes with a pure, with a complete faith, but a clean faith and a pure faith, because emuna can also be murky. And the Alta Rebbe says, in order that it should be as, in order that you should have night vision, that even though it's night, you're still seeing God in front of you. Even in the in the in the in the darkest moment of exile, you're 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 you're, you're experiencing like you have people that write like people that have experienced that were in Auschwitz, were in the darkest of darkness, and their faith they were with God every moment. And then there were people that were there and uh, you know dry, lost their even if they were kind of religious and had a faith in God, to them God was lost forever in their soul. And then those, again, not, not getting into judgment, God forbid, we have no idea what these people went through. But we do see that people, even in the darkest of the dark, God never left them. Quite in the country, they came out stronger than they were before in their faith in God. And every Jew has faith. But the faith can sometimes be murky, and then it's, even if you have faith, it's not, it's not crisp. And there are those who have very clean faith. And it has to do with a certain purity of soul. But how do you get to that? And, and okay, if, you're, if you're fortunate and you have a very pure soul, that the people that, that, that God is always so vivid to them, no matter what, they have a lot of hardship, they're so... And then there are people that are less, less... That maybe in, in times of, uh, you know, when there's a lot of illumination, they, 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 they're, they're elevated. But when it gets dark, they lose it. But even they can make it brighter. So he's going to talk about it here in a moment the quality, the ability to be able to be in Lila, to be able to be in night, and yet have Zeh because of your Emunah Zaka Utahira, 
because of faith that's pure, that's, 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 that's clean and pure. So how do we do that? If we're, if we're not feeling it, how, how, do we, how do we bring ourselves to that? So when did the Jewish people experience Balayla Hazeh? The last night in Egypt. The rest of the time in Egypt, there was Balayla. It was a dark night and there was no Zeh. It was Balayla Ahu. It was complete concealment. Layla Ahu. Who is concealment? That night. The, it's, it's not in front. It's not Zeh. So it was dark. It was the, last, the final night of Egypt. Maybe we can say the final year when they were there. Whatever it was, it was when the people believed Moshe Rabbein, when Moshe came to them and they had a crisp moon and they knew they're getting out. And even then you saw fluctuations. The Torah says they believed and the Torah says they didn't even listened to Moshe because it was so hard. So there was, a, there was a back and a forth. But at least that last night, it's Laila Hazeh. Even though it's still exile, it was still clear because their faith was so rock solid. How did they get there? So the Alter Rebbe learns an amazing thing. The actual work in Egypt itself cleansed them and purified them. See, in other words, the experience in Egypt didn't darken their soul, it brightened their soul. The work that they worked with the cement and with the bricks broke their egos, didn't break their soul. It broke their egos. It broke their, their, the thing that blocks God and allowed for the purity of the soul to shine through, for the godliness of the soul to shine. So by the time they were at the end of the Golos Mitzrayim, even though the darkness was still there, God was very vivid by them. As he says, in order to come to such, to such a state that even Balayla, even by night, God is so, so um, concrete by a person, so real, for that one needs the labor of chomer of bricks, of chomer of cement and levenim and bricks. Like it was in the land of Egypt. Redushana was 210 years of, 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 of purification through the hard labor. They worked for 210 years with cement and bricks. So again, he doesn't really explain much, but the general idea is explained in other places is that that broke the klippa, that broke the, 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 the ego of the Jewish people and helped them tap into the neshama. And it brought out and it purified them. That's why Mitzrayim is called a kor habarzel. It's called a, a purifying oven, uh, um, whatever they call it, a crucible where, they, where you melt stuff and you clean the gold. Their souls were cleansed. So much so that at the end of the exile, they had such a crisp amunah. But today's days, what, we, what does it for us? So the Alter Rebbe says we have a choice. In this exile, to turn night, that even, you're not turning night into day. Night will remain night. But to have night vision, which comes by, night vision can only be in faith. It doesn't mean understanding. It means just powerful faith to the point that you can, that you can see God with your faith. Um, to have that, one needs also to do what they did in Egypt, work with bricks and, and cement. But today's days we have a choice of what will constitute the bricks and the cement, which they didn't have in Egypt. What's our choice? The sages say, the Zohar says, that chomer, which is, means cement, can also be read kalv chomer. 
And Levenim, which means bricks, can be read Libun Hilchasa. Which means, and there's a mimer from the Alter Rebbe, the first mimer of Pasha Shemois, where he talks about working with bricks and labor. He says, today's days, when one toils in Torah study, in other words, exerts themselves, the same way that they exerted themselves with brack-breaking labor in physical labor, when someone exerts themselves in Torah study, that too purifies the soul and can lead the person to that purification that they felt after 210 years, we can have that now as well and, and have a very pure amuna Through what? Through the Torah study. Or, if we don't go that route, then we need to get the purification anyways, but then the purification is going to come through the difficulty in earning a livelihood. The same way like they have to work like crazy, we end up working like crazy, day and night, but that itself, that it's so hard and so difficult, and it makes us crazy. It washes us and cleanses us and purifies the ego. So if we have a choice to do it through Torah or do it through, through work that, we should all choose Torah. And that's what this Mishnah says in Pirkei is that if you accept upon yourself the yoke of Torah, then they will remove from you the yoke of, of earning a livelihood. Mishnah says, if you don't, if you remove the yoke of Torah, you just waste your time, then God is going to make life not so easy for a person. Because a person needs to have a yoke because we need that polishing of the ego so that we can have a deep relationship with God. But here's the choice. So today's days we have that's one of the methods of Torah study is to do a kal v'chomer. means the, the whitening of halacha. That means clarifying halacha because when you learn any subject in Torah first it's very confusing. And therefore, you have to do comparative analysis and questions and answers and back and forth until things become clearer and clearer. And clearer. It's called whitening the halacha, that the halacha becomes clear and white. So, and that's like compared to the bricks. And working in the field, the Zohar says, Da that is studying field is called, Brisa means outside, which is like the field work. So when you learn through all the, all the, all the Brisas and so on, the part of the, uh, the, the, the Torah called Brisa. And in truth, the Alter Rebbe says, it's our choice. If you accept upon yourself the yoke of Torah, then they remove from the person the yoke of earning a livelihood. But if, God forbid, a person th- removes the yoke of Torah. That means you don't want, a person is not willing to diligently study Torah for hours on end. And to really... Then you're going to have to work anyways, but it's going to be other work. They'll put upon him the yoke, because this is for the person's benefit, or else one becomes stuck in their own ego and can't see past themselves. To be able to see God, to see the being of all beings, that's a, through powerful faith, you need to have purity. And pure, purity comes by melting the ego. And that can either be through Torah study or through... But if someone, for whatever reason, missed their opportunity to be de- devoted day and night just to Torah study, and from heaven above they forced this person to go out into the work into the workforce and to have to hustle <laughs> hustle day and night to make a living, yet even this person can experience a deep relationship with God, like God should be in front of him.
speak directly to God, God in front of you, to be God is vivid. Quite to the contrary, the, the, the work itself can lead, purifies and cleanses to allow for a pure faith to be filled. And then God can be face to face. You can talk to God like you're talking to a friend. Even if he's osik in derecheretz, which means in livelihood, nevertheless, one doesn't have to be in darkness in the night. It's night, but you can still have Laila Hazed this night and be. And that's what it says over here. Esther. Esther is in the state of concealment. She's speaking in front of the king. She's falling before him and crying out and praying. The Indian and the idea is we can cry out even when it's, even when we're in a, in other words, even when we don't have sophisticated understanding of the divine, with simple, powerful, pure faith, we can connect to Hashem in such a powerful way and so vividly. The Indian and the idea is we find on Purim that the, little, that the Jewish people were crying out in prayer for three days and three nights, including the children. And suddenly it says that the, that night, so Balailahu, that night. So it was a time of utter concealment. The world was so dark. God was so hidden. And therefore it was night. And not only was it night, but it was Ahu. It wasn't Hazeh. It wasn't Laila Hazeh. It was Ahu. It was that night, the darkest of the dark. And yet in the midst of that, they're crying out to God. They're praying. And they. And what happens? Hashem wakes up from his sleep. That's what it says. Whatever that means that God is sleeping. Pretending to sleep or whatever. And it says that he hears the sounds of crying and he asks the angels, do I hear, what is the sound of sheep that I hear? And the angels say, it's not sheep, it's the Jewish people. And that changed the decree and everything. The annihilation of Purim. So the Altar wants a deeper understanding. What do you mean God doesn't know? He needs to ask the angels. Yeah. What does he mean sheep? Why is he he's making a mistake? He thinks it's sheep and they tell him it's not sheep. The whole thing is strange. So he explains, no, no, no. The people were not sophisticated. The people were not learned. They didn't have the deep mystical understanding and of all the spherot and the attributes and the names of God to be able to approach God with a, with, a, with a rich understanding of the divine. And therefore, they would sound like humans articulating their, 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 their request for, for, for a miracle or for God's salvation or for a relationship with God. Because as we're saying, they were they were in a time of aster aster of immense concealment, and they were not in this. And they were and they did not fix the problem by studying Torah, which would have sophisticated them. They didn't have that. They just were hardworking people, and yet they turned to God, and their cry was literally like a cry of sheep. In other words, unsophisticated. It was in, in, in a little bit. It sounded like an animal cry. They cried from duress. They didn't cry. But they cried to God because they felt that God is, is there to listen to them. They felt God is truly a being that they can turn to. In other words, they had immense faith that they can talk and they can plead to God. And God hears that cry and he hears it as sheep, meaning to say he's, he, 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 the, it's a, 
it, 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 it wasn't an insult, it was, it was a compliment. He, he, he's hearing a raw cry. But the fact that it's not, it's not uh, coming from a, from a deep understanding of the divine is that Hashem says it's sheep. And the angels, and that's, God knows, but God is bringing forth the angels the angels saying, it's, it's your children. And let's see how the Altareb explains it. God is asking from the supernal worlds. It's interesting, he doesn't say that he's asking from the angels, he's asking from the supernal worlds. What's the sound of the sheep that I'm hearing? And the, and the, and the angels answer, the, the supernal worlds answer, it's the sound of the Jewish people. So the question is, how is it even possible that he's asking this question? That for God, everything is revealed. The idea is, just like a goat, a little kid goat, a little baby goat, <coughs> cries for its mother. He had the little sound of bear from a sheep crying after the mom. It's a very simple cry. It's, 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 it's a very... Um, It's instinctive. There's nothing there but instinct. It's not a, a rich understanding of this is my mama. It's, it's, it's instinctive. It, it, it's hungry it, or lost or whatever, and it, it knows it's looking for its just protector. So instinctively it's running to its mom. So Belishum Seichel, it's without any uh, logic, vidas, and understanding. Their cry at that time was not a sophisticated cry. It was without knowledge, and without contemplation. It was just a cry because they felt in anguish. They felt immense pressure. They felt stuck. They felt constricted. They felt they were so... And all they did was they gave a cry, help us. But the, the cry was very real. It cried to God. That's the, the, they were as Esther as Esther can get. Their entire spiritual awareness and a spiritual sensitivity was completely, completely uh, um, blocked. And yet, even in that thick darkness, their amuna, their faith in God broke through. And cried like a like a sheep crying. Batsar lehem in their pain. Vashivoy heim and the and that's what God is saying. I hear a sheep cry. And the supernal worlds answered, Chatsakuhu Belidas. It's 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 a cry that's not it's not it's not with knowledge. But it's not like a sheep. A sheep doesn't have in, doesn't have intellect. The soul has intelligence, but the soul can recognize God through intelligence, and the soul can recognize God on a level much higher than intelligence, on a level of essence, because the soul is essentially one with God. And the truth is that when it comes to God. So here's the thing. Yes, there are times that we, we engage and we involve ourselves with Hashem through, through, through the mind, 
And that's general, the rule. That's, that's the method. We use our mind to understand, to study, to learn, to gain appreciation in His greatness. And through that, we reach to God. But in, in truth, that's, that's good, but that's limited. Why is it limited? Because then we're not touching God. We're touching only godliness. We're touching Hashem as He's already specified in certain specifications that we can comprehend and understand. We're reaching for what we understand is God, not Hashem Himself. Because it's coming from a more uh, sophist- from the sophisticated side of us. But then there's, and then there is what we call like an animal crying. It's instinctive. But for an animal, it's the best they can do. They, they don't have intelligence. A human has intelligence. But even when a human has intelligence, there is the understanding that, the in, intel, that, that in a relationship with God, t- intelligence is not your best bet. Because your intelligence is only going to take you so far. In order to really get close to Hashem himself, to God, you have to fall back to instinctive crying. But it's not, in, it's not, it's not instinctive when I say just a biological or what, let's call it, um, it's not chemical kind of a chemical reaction to hunger or something external. It's because the soul is one with God. So the soul feels God's truth on a level, and I say feel, I mean beyond emotional feeling. It's, it's, it's just essence. It's, it's parent and child being one. It's, it's, it's being in duress and knowing that God is there, just knowing, knowing not, not in any, you can't explain anything. You just, you know that, 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 that the, the, the truth of God so that's higher than intellect, because intellect can never perceive it and understand it. Similar, the same idea the Alter Rebbe discusses a lot on Pesach, the first cry, matzah, is the cry, like we cry out, Father. Like a little child, like a little baby cries to a mom, to its, to a, to its father or mother, when you see your parent. Uh, when the child doesn't have, when he's two years old, doesn't have, or one year old, doesn't have much understanding, but can say, can say, can cry out or say, Daddy, or mother. The child has a recognition. It's the initial cry. It's deeper than any sophisticated understanding and logic. That's the idea. And that's, I guess, that's what God wanted to bring out. He said, what's the goat? I'm hearing just the cry. And they're explaining it to the Jewish people. It's the, it's the, it's the Jewish people. It's those that you have this deep... It's not like an animal. An animal has no mind. An animal is, 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 is just instinctive with its, in its relationship. But by God, the, 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 the road or the, the access point to God is not through the mind. Because again, it's, it's, it's taking you into the palace. It's not taking you into in front of the king himself. It's taking you to the to the to the to the external elements. God who is beyond das, beyond knowledge, knowable. Their cry. So it's interesting. Their disadvantage was to their advantage. Had they been sophisticately developed, and they would have used their minds in crawling out, they wouldn't touch God so deeply. It's, it, it's like the fa- for this for this we have to tell the story of the Bolshemtov. You know the famous story where the Bolshemtov was so perturbed the whole Yom Kippur. 
and you feel there was a decree, and no matter what he as a big tzaddik and other tzaddikim were trying to do, and the Jewish people were trying to act as advocates and to persuade the heavenly tribunal or, or Hashem to change their mind regarding of how things are going to be the upcoming year, nothing worked. And it was a, a dark cloud hanging over the Jewish people. It was very frightening. The Baal Shem Tov was so disturbed. And suddenly, everything changed. Everything changed. Baal Shem Tov smiled and laughed and his whole demeanor changed and the whole Yom Kippur became like the happiest thing. And later after Yom Kippur, he related that there was a simple kid who came to shul and he couldn't pray. And he tried to pray and he didn't know what to pray and so on and so forth. And the only thing he remembered he was how to, how to, how to, how to, how to, he grew up on the, on the, on the field and he, and he saw the way the, the roosters cry. He knew all the sounds of the animals. So he said, God, I can't pray to you, but I'm going to do my sounds that I know how to do. So he started calling like the rooster, kukuriku Tashem. And that simple cry from the essence, what's the point over here? Okay, is it cute that he's calling kukuriku? No. The depth of this soul that is one with God wants to communicate with God but doesn't have the language. It's like the shofar. There's no language. It's just, just, my, it's just me, my entire being. So here, the, the, disadvantage, the disadvantage of this person that they're lacking sophistication ultimately leads to... Now, is that, does that mean when you're starting your light you should, you should aspire to be the kukuriku guy? No. You have to aspire to, to learn, to study, to develop and to reach... Of, a, a very, very great, but that a very great understanding of Hashem, and keep on growing in that, and keep on, on developing that. And yet, after everything is said and done, you are, the the greatest person is one who can transcend all of that and get back to the kukuriku sound, and, and and just and just call with that simple cry because you realize that God is beyond everything you know about Him. It's almost like the Balshemt of joining this kid in the kukuriku. That's the ultimate. So and this is the same kind of cry that the Jews cried in Mitzrayim. And this is, this is what the Alter Rebbe is telling us, that, that since, since we have, that's what he said at the beginning, even if we don't have the Rachel inside of us, even if we're not externally so beautiful and so developed in our understanding of God's unity, and our, but, but we all have it in essence. And because we have it in essence, we could, we, we could unearth it. And, and again, that's what I was talking about in the beginning about I feel like this Sunday is so important that the Jewish people just cry. It doesn't make a difference what people want to know. What's the prayer? Just, just, just let it come out. Let the essential cry of the Jewish people of the entire world come out and say to God, reveal yourself. It's enough. Dalai Golos and the exile. It was their cry was like the cry of a, of a goat, and an animal. But by God, it's appropriate because the pasuk says, "I'm like an animal with you." And King David says that, and he says, "With you, I have no choice but to but but, but to be like an animal, just to cry like a like a sim, the, the simple cry of an animal, which is not sophisticated." When I'm totally with you, not with your rays, with your manifestations, with your projections, but when I'm touching your very essence, it's beyond intellect. When they cried out to God, they cried out to God in their pain. So sometimes you don't even feel the amuna. That's the thing. This seems to be a preliminary. It's not like you have the amuna. You won't just feel the pain. You feel the, the anguish. This can't continue. That's what you're starting off with. 
And this breaks open. And then you come to this strong amuna. It's the cry that leads to the amuna. It's interesting. So again, if you're learning Torah, then you can come to the purity of the amuna through the Torah study. But if you're not learning a lot of Torah, not so you, it's the it's the crying out with just simple pain from the from the anguish of the concealment and the darkness that can 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 bring and, and allow for the amuna to emerge. That you should come back to the point of even though it's Lila, God becomes so vivid. As a result of such a prayer, you break through with that Amunah. And then you return back from an Esther state. You go up being a Rachel state. You become back like that sheep that we spoke in the beginning. Like the sheep that is so devoted and dedicated to God. And this was the miracle of Purim. Shubchanas Bavel. Purim was the end time of the exile of Babylonian exile. Which Babylonia comes from the word Babylonia, Babel, which means confusion. That means there's confusion, there's darkness, there's such a there's such there's such a tumult like the world today. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Bavel, everything is upside down, everything is right. And, 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 and in the midst of all of this, Kishon Balal Hashem, over there God, and I think, it's just happened now, it says God confused their tongue. And that's in a sense the thing that we don't have sophisticated, we don't even know what to pray. You know, we don't have that sophistication. And we have to cry like, like a sheep. And understand this. And that was the miracle of Purim. The miracle of Purim was simplicity. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, advanced prayer. It was a simple... Like Moshe Rabbeinu pleads for the Jewish people. He knows what to say, what we're aware of. Here it wasn't Mordechai praying. It was the Jewish people. It was the children. It was, it was just a cry. And that reaches the essence. And then we can come from Balai to the ultimate state of Bayoimahu. Again, uh, a little cryptic over here. What does it mean? Not, not by Yoimazet, to come to by which in some places it explains that Yoimahu is higher than Yoimazet. Not day and not night. Maybe because it's Bolal, maybe because it's Bavel, it's mixed. It can be not day and not night. And in the evening there can be light. It can be a mixture of day and night together. Maybe that's what by Yoimahu means. Who is concealment? It's night, and Yoim is day. So maybe that's the similar, similar to Laila and Zeh. Again, I, I'm not clear on these two lines, what he means with them. Vihine, now, what does Esther say to him? Now, okay, so Esther is davening. So Esther continues to plead before the king. That means the Neshama can break through and plead to God. Esther and all the Jewish people then, and they're crying, are speaking to God. What is the plea? The plea is get, get Haman off our backs. Haman has, has a, a, a terrible thought that he thought upon the Jewish people. He contrived a horrible decree upon Israel. And we have to remove the spell, the decree of Haman. Now he's going to learn deeper what that means. He says... Haman is Amalek, and this connects to this week's parasha because this week is going to be Shabbos Zohar. We have to eradicate Amalek. Now, Amalek is not just an anti Semite, Amalek is a force in the world 
that damages us very deeply, damages us spiritually, all of us. Now, Alter Deb is going to explain that there's certain unholy states of being in the Jewish soul that are natural to the fact that we are physical beings in a physical world. Part of, yeah, you have a body, and the body is made up of flesh and blood. So naturally, it's going to have inclinations to. It's going to be up to. It's going to be up to not such good things from time to time. Okay, that's uh, that's that's part of the task in this world: physicality and being a, a material person is going to draw us into materialistic pursuits and sometimes not so kosher. And we can we can mess up. And that's the negativity of the nations of the world that seep into, that's kind of like the fact that uh, the, 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 we're part of the worldly existence when we're especially in exile, it, uh, the, that, that's basically the ne negativity of, of other nations. It's natural, and the Alter Rebbe says it's easy for us to undo it. It takes a little work, but you can undo it. But then there is Amalek. Amalek does some really dirty tricks upon us. And he's going to say what that is. And when we get infected with that virus, like the China virus, the Amalek virus, when we get infected spiritually by that virus, that's a very dangerous virus. And that is what we need to plead to God to help us, because we can't do it on our own. We need God's assistance. And that's what our plea is. That we say, God, you know, we're in darkness. We, we, we want to have our faith in you. But we cannot please remove this contamination of Amalek from, from us. Because when we have that, we can't really function. And he's going to explain what that is. It's God's war. And what do we have to do? We have to evoke God's mercy to fight for us against Amalek. Because every single one of the different nations, it's a klipa. It's various different um, negative um, negative uh, Impulses, uh, emotions, and so forth. Kamasha Kasaf Achiti, Vahamoiri, these the Chittite, the Amorites, Aprizi, the Hemba Atman Betelem, the Kabak Dusha. They are nullified to holiness. Because we know that when we went out of Egypt and God displayed his might, all the nations were trembling. So when we activate our Neshama, when we reveal our godliness, the clip is full. Like the advantage of light from darkness, that light has power over darkness. That when you turn on a candle, the darkness goes away. So if you turn on your spiritual lights, the clippers get weaker and weaker until they disappear. But what is Amalek? Amalek is chutzpah. Amalek is audacity. Amalek is a stubbornness to ignore God. Even when you're in the face, even if you learned something so powerful like this mimer that we're learning tonight. Even when you hear something so strong and you're inspired and you feel moved and you want to change, you want to dedicate yourself more to prayer, more to, to Torah study, whatever it is, and then there is a start of like, eh, and just, just dismissing it. That's a defiance against God. There's no reason why a Jew should have that. And it doesn't even come from us. Now, al is going to explain Haman and Amalek is a special radio channel, or 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 uh, they have special Wi-Fi towers, in which they project 
these defiant energies into the world and we sometimes turn on the wrong Wi-Fi and capture their, and capture their channel and it pollutes our soul and gives us a defiance against God, which is so un-Jewish. Because a Jew is supposed to be moved by holiness, moved by God. Especially when you have a moment of godly revelation. You see, I find this so many times, I see such amazing things happen in my life. I, I'm telling a whole series of stories called Reb and Me, and yet I can tell the story, and five minutes later, man, you know, it's horrible. I only wear I'm not going to do a confession again over here. But that's the idea that you, you, you sometimes see things so you would expect that you should have a total transformation. You should be a complete different person. And yet we remain the same people who we were before. Why? Because we're defiant. Where does it defiance? Because it's not a Jewish thing. That's a Malik. And that's what Esther is saying. Remove the bad of, of Haman Agagi Vesmachshafto. His thoughts that he's planting inside of us. In other words, the, the Alter Rebbe is saying it's not your thought, it's an alien thought that's now being channeled. It's kind of someone overtaking your brain. That's what the horrible thing about Amalek is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hack. Literally, we're being hacked by Klippa. Other, other things besides this defiance and chutzpah against God to ignore, even though we know, and, not, and to, to, to just brush it off, other things, it's not a unholiness it's not it's not a foreign entity it's part of the makeup of a person that you'll have a physical side which has faults but when we're experiencing an amalek it's 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 foreign to us it's not it's not who we are and what we are and we have to know we're being hacked and that's horrible when you know someone is, is messing with your brain that's horrible but the chutzpah and the density of every midah, because Amalek is not a is not a, a unholiness of itself. Amalek is a spice that goes into every into every negative trait in the person and spices it up. It spices it up with defiance. That means that, as we said earlier, the negative trait itself would have dissolved in front of God. If you have anger, and when you have a vivid experience of God, the anger should dissolve. But when you add the spice of defiance to the anger, you say, I don't care, I'm still going to get angry. Or I don't care and I'm still going to lust. I don't care. That means you're putting in a, a stubbornness into the midah. And that's not you doing it. That, that's Amalek. But we have to, that's why we have to pray to God to stop it. And that's the Amalek. And this is God's fight from generation to generation. Because chutzpah, is a kingdom without a crown. That means, chutzpah means that you have nothing to brag about, you have nothing to stand for, and yet you, you think you're a king. You have, you have no crown. And yet you're portraying yourself with the You know the other one is stronger than you. And that's the chutzpah. All the midos, he says, their root and their source is from the body. It's no, it, it shouldn't be a... Uh, a, 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 a wonder to us, a surprise to us that our body has inclinations towards unholy things. It's called the hide of the snake. Hmm? The snake is a snake. And everybody, it's possible for, for a person to have them naturally. But chutzpah and, 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 and defiance how does everybody get it? Where, is the, where, where does this come to people? 
This is not from us. This is Machsheves Haman. This is the thoughts of Haman. Here's this word. This idea that he is that he's hacking us and planting his thoughts inside of us is actually in the Megillah. It's the thoughts of Haman that he is thinking upon us. That means he's playing with our brains and putting his thoughts into our thoughts. He says, and what does that mean? There is spiritual chambers. That these are the, and that's where they produce these thoughts. It's a channel. It's a channel of defiance. And again, they have the best Wi-Fi towers. And they get their channel everywhere. And this klipa, these, these places are called Haman. And this is what creates, and this is what influences and sends these thoughts of, 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 of density, of, of defiance, of, of, of uh, the chutzpah and, and total arrogance of chutzpah, of, the, of, of having brazenness against God. So what do you do? What do you do? Because you can have earlier, you can have the Yamuna, you can have everything, but if you have defiance, it's going to contradict the Yamuna. Even if you believe, if God is in front of you, you say, I don't care. The Eitzelazet. So when you're crying and you're davening, you fall before his feet. These are the angels that are called Hashem's feet. That the ministering angels called the, 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 the serafim, the, the fiery ones, the serpents, uh, in terms of fire, they stand above. Like the krashim standing, which is referring to the angels. So he doesn't explain. What does it mean to fall in front of the angels? You're pleading to the angels. You're pleading to God. What does it mean you're falling to the angels? Again, I told you at the beginning, that's one of the reasons I had a hard time with the mimer. Like, why suddenly are we busy with the angels? Angels made the feet. The feet are... We generally know we don't, we don't, we're, not, we're not asking for angels' assistance. We're talking directly to God. So I don't know why, what this means. But the ikr is, is we cry and beg to remove the negative thoughts. And then as a result of our prayer, you, they hang Haman and his children on a tree. That's 50 cubits tall. Like it says, Hashem is king, dresses himself in geus. So you hang Haman on a tree, which is Hashem Malachi. I don't understand the ending. What does this mean? Maybe Haman is full of Gaius. So you hang him on the tree of I'm not sure. So I feel bad that I taught the whole mimer, and then we suddenly get to come to a screeching end where I don't understand the word that he's saying at the end. I don't. And there must be some deep secrets over here, both in the Marlochim and this idea of hanging Haman up on the tree, 50 cubits, Hashem Malachi. What's he saying? Part of what we're going to pray for, Hashem, illuminate. But again, I think the Mimer did open up the main ideas and thrusts of the discourse was very, did come to life, Baruch Hashem. And uh, we hope that the Iker is that the Haman and all his children and all this, whatever Haman is in the world, should be already hung this Purim. And we should have the main ending is Hashem Malach. God should be a king. And for this, let's all pray together this Sunday morning, 8 o'clock our time. Don't forget. And don't forget to share it with others. Okay, very happy Purim to everyone. And only, only bracha, mazel, and good things.